Hello and welcome into episode nine of the 48 Minutes Podcast. I'm Ross Geiger, the host of the show, and I'm happy to be joined by my two co-hosts, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. Today, we're thrilled to also be welcomed by our first guest onto the show, and that is TNT and NBA host and reporter, Jared Greenberg. Jared, thanks for taking the time out to join us on today's show. You got it, guys. I appreciate it. Looking forward to talking some hoops. Awesome. Well, we'd like to really start off by discussing some key storylines going into this season, things that have happened here recently, and uh, no better team to start out with than the Brooklyn Nets. Of course, they got off to a rough start then had their coaching change, uh, got some improved play, and then all of a sudden, KD's out with injury. So, Jared, let's start off with you. Um, You know, what's your take on this whole Brooklyn Nets situation? Well, aren't we just on watch for the next weird thing that's going to happen for this organization, right? Like we could be taping this podcast and something could happen. And it's unfortunate to say because that 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 dark cloud is hovering over a team that's been playing the best basketball of any team in the league over the last month, if not, you know, six weeks or so. So, I, I you know, it, it's something I think we've we felt since this group came together. They They certainly have a the talent to compete for championships. It's all the other stuff. And and the other stuff, yes, includes injuries because part of the story for James Harden when he was on the team, certainly Kyrie Irving, certainly Ben Simmons, and absolutely Kevin Durant is that every time things are going well in their history, they, one of them at separate times of their career, each of them, I should say, has suffered a significant injury, including since they've been on the nets, which has derailed or at least, um, prevented them from, from getting to their ultimate goal on top of all of the other drama that has nothing to do with basketball. So, yes, they've been playing great. And I think it's some of the ancillary pieces, too, that have been really important. Um, you know, and, and it's amazing that at this point of his, or, of his career, we're calling him an ancillary, but he is. Ben Simmons has been significantly better in the last month. Nick Claxton has been unbelievable I mean, he he's not going to get into the mix for Defensive Player of the Year, but the way he has been blocking shots, he has been up there with the likes of Jaron Jackson Jr., who right now might be the best shot blocker in the league. Um, and, and and it's just unbelievable how well they've been playing. But again, this Durant injury, all, albeit they're saying it's not as significant as the one that he suffered in the other knee last year that cost him 21 consecutive games, you just don't know what's next with this team. Yeah, great points there. Um, Bruce? Well, I think, you know, in the past, we've, we've talked about how, you know, in some of his previous, you know, venues, Kyrie Irving always kind of wanted to be the guy. And now he's going to have a chance to be the guy. But he no longer has this big distraction called Kevin Durant to take some of the heat off of him. So every defense is going to be keying on him. He's going to be handling the ball, obviously, uh, the majority of the time for those guys. And he's really going to need Simmons to take a few shots. I mean, look, he may have to miss a few shots, and but he's going to have to take them. Otherwise, Kyrie Irving is going to be double teamed every single time down the court. So I think it's up to Ben. You know, he might have to break a few eggs to make an omelet there. <laughs> I mean, we talked about in previous podcast, we talked about the last one, about what they can do to combat, to stay competitive with the Kevin Durant injury. And I mentioned to you guys, I thought the defense – for the Nets had really improved. That was the most impressive thing for me. Their, their offense clicking the way it had been, it was certainly fun to watch. And, you know, the numbers speak for themselves, but the way they put their defense back into a top 10 
category was really impressive. Now, you know, and that included Durant. Now they have, you know, do they have the pieces? Obviously with Simmons being a great defensive player, can that defense really carry them or keep them from falling off the rails uh, while, you know, Durant works his way back? Yeah, and they're going to be tested uh, here tonight. They play the Boston Celtics on the second night of a back-to-back for Boston, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Kyrie Irving. I, As I mentioned last show, I don't think he is uh, right now an all-star um, come the all-star game, but he's going to have that opportunity to prove why he should be with KD out of the, the lineup and having to step up uh, for this Brooklyn Nets team. Ross, I want to add something because Bruce got my my brain churning here when you said, you know, it'd be nice, basically, you said, if Ben Simmons occasionally took a shot. And it's not all that bad if he misses the shot. It's the taking the shot. So I just looked up this stat just as we were talking here. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Among players in the league who have started at least 25 games this year, 25 games, which is the number of games that Ben Simmons has started. Ben Simmons, only five players in the league have attempted fewer total shots than Ben Simmons this year. Dwight Powell, P.J. Tucker, Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson, Patrick Beverly, and Kavon Looney. I mean, he has, <laughs> he has taken fewer shots than Draymond Green. He's taken fewer shots than Clint Capella, than, than, than Jared Vanderbilt, than uh, Avica Zubats, Nick Claxton. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. Denny Avdia has taken more shots than Ben Simmons this year. It, it's, it, it's mind-blowing <laughs> how, how this guy just does not want to shoot. And, and, and until he's willing to miss a few... I yeah. mean, it's just really going to have such an impact on Kyrie. And already he's going to be the focal point of every team's defense. So it's up to Ben to kind of just put his little kind of ego or whatever it is, his fears maybe. It's more fear than ego, I think. Put it aside and just say, I'm going to chuck a couple up there just so they know that I'm willing to do it. Agreed. Yes. So that will be fun to watch tonight as the Nets take on the Celtics. We'll see if Ben Simmons can – be a little bit more aggressive on the offensive end of the floor uh, for Brooklyn. Uh, shifting our attention out west, Jared, love to get your thoughts on the Golden State Warriors. Of course, they've had their road struggles all season long. They've had their fair share of injuries with big-name players and Stephen Curry, Andrew Wiggins, and Clay Thompson. And then now we've had a recent road skin, in, uh, a recent home game skid uh, with, with Golden State. They have lost to Detroit, Orlando, and a – very shorthanded Phoenix Suns team. So, so has their window closed on them, Jared? Or what do you think? Is this team, no. if they just get into the postseason, are they going to be the Warriors again? Yeah, you know, I'm a little surprised by all of this. Um, I, I thought that they, I, I picked them to finish first in the Western Conference this year coming in. I thought that they would be a better regular season team this season than they were last And it's unbelievable to me, and I've done some Warriors games this year, and really, like, whether it's looking at the numbers or just kind of looking at the people, it blows my mind that the difference in this team this year is Otto Porter, who's now out for the season, Gary Payton Jr., who's played a couple of games for Portland, Juan Toscano-Anderson, who some nights doesn't get off the bench for the Lakers, and Nemanja Belica, who's now back overseas. You're telling me that those four guys are the difference in who the Warriors were last year and what they're not this year? Come on. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Meanwhile, 
all the numbers and and you know michael you you're you're the uh, analytics guy here you could you could back this up i don't know what it is to to date but most of the season at least the warriors starting five projected starting five when healthy is the best five man unit in basketball so it's right yeah. up, it's right up there with with there's a couple denver has a good group and right. but i mean they're right up there you're right that starting five that preferred or whatever you want to call them right. is right up there and for me honestly you know, if we were going to list the biggest surprises of the season, I would vote for the Warriors on the on the bad side. Not because they're struggling to fall out for you know record wise. It's the drop off in defense that is astronomical. Right. It's just to go from number two and they were the number two defensive team last year in efficiency. It was to go from that to, to bottom ten right now, and it's. You know, you figure, well, it's just their road problems now, which are terrible. 120 points per 100 possessions on the road they're giving up. That's unbelievable. It's just, for anybody, it's bad. For a team that's defending the championship, it's really bad. And then it's to see that happen, what's happening at home now, as Ross brought up, the Pistons, the Magic, and then a, basically a G, G League version of the NBA Phoenix Suns, to get blown out at home by that. It's just a weird, weird uh, season for them. Yeah, they'll, they'll have a chance, though, to, to get themselves right. And I'm with you. Those, those are three absolutely awful losses, particularly at home. Now they go on the road where they've been awful this year, but it's against San Antonio, Chicago, Washington, the first three before they play Boston and Cleveland, which you know the team will be up for because it's two of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, and then they're home for the Nets and Grizzlies, two really good teams. So th- this is going to be a barometer type of of week and a half for the Warriors to, to see where they're at and getting Steph back in the lineup. Don't forget, they, they've played a big stretch here without Wiggins as well, which yep. speaks to their defensive issues. Uh, I think Clay Thompson has been trying to balance you know, being the type of defender he has been prior to both injuries while trying to get his offensive game back. And I think that there's, it's been difficult for him. Um, so I, I'm not all that worried about this team, particularly, and if we want to get to, to a broader topic here, like if you're a team with talented players in the Western Conference, who are you afraid of right now? To the point where you're not saying, okay, by the time the postseason rolls around, as long as we've got our rotation intact and feeling half decent about it. Like Bruce said, it, 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 it doesn't matter where we're seated because there's, there's no monsters. You know, the, 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 it has been a seismic shift in the NBA. The East is where the powers lie, not the West. Jared, I have a, a you know, well, John Morant says there's no one in the West that he's afraid of, but I, but I digress there. Uh, the, the mirror might be something he might want to start with. <laughs> Amen. In the preseason, in the preseason, when Draymond Green cold-cocked um, Jordan Poole, I felt at the time everyone was sort of poo-pooing that, oh, it's just one of those things. I'm curious as to your opinion. Do you feel that that's had any kind of a carryover effect on the sort of team unity going into the season, that that a teammate could treat another teammate that way and, you know, with such impunity, just like base, he could have broke the guy's jaw, right? I mean, he really smacked him pretty hard. I felt all along when the team was sort of stumbling out of the gate, maybe there was some residual effect there. I'm curious as to whether you feel differently. Yeah, I also wondered too, you know, there, there's a lot of layers to peel back. I, I'm with you. There, there's there's no, and this is kind of a double negative, but there's no way that it had no effect 
right? Like there's got to be yeah. some. And, and and I also wonder too, not only is it, and this is what I, I was actually live on the air the night that, that Steve Kerr announced that Draymond Green was coming back without any sort of real tangible punishment. Not, not only is Bruce, could he have broke his jaw? Could he have given him a concussion? All the injuries, teammate versus teammate. But the lack of accountability and consequence that was handed out, I thought could be damaging to a locker room. Because if he could do that, then what else can guys get away with that are a lot less significant that can cause issues? Guys showing up late, guys not following the game plan, guys treating other people poorly, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's got to have some effect. Uh, but I also think, too, the slow start, you know, it, it's easy to point to that. They also went overseas, which is never easy for a team that plays late into a calendar year. Um, Good point. You know, and then goes overseas to start their preseason and then comes back and get caught up. I think a lot of that has has to do with it sometimes. And, again, it's hard to, you know, put a tangible finger on anything here. But, but again, uh, you know, uh, nothing – Nothing that I see from the Warriors and from the rest of the Western Conference has has allowed me to get to the point yet where I am counting the Warriors out for this season. All right. And going along with that, as far as the rest of the West is concerned, the Phoenix Suns are another hot topic. Obviously, they've got Jay Crowder away from the team in Atlanta. Uh, they've had their own struggles keeping guys healthy and one one thing I'm curious about, Jared, is just the fact with James Jones having not made a move yet, is he maybe possibly waiting for January 15th when the last trade restriction uh, ends? Or is he looking at his squad trying to get Chris Paul healthy and saying, look, there's teams like the Warriors struggling just like we are right now in the standings, and it's still a wide-open race in the West? Well, I, I think the bigger question, and, and all of those are, are great questions, but one of the things I always talk about when franchises are in the state that the Phoenix Suns are in is what type of autonomy and ability does a general manager have to make deals when there's a pending sale of an organization? Mm-hmm. How, how, how much flexibility does the head of basketball operations have to make deals that can cost the franchise potentially upwards of hundreds of millions of dollars for several years down the road when Typically, when you're trying to sell a billion-dollar organization, not that I've had much experience with it, but when you're trying to do that, you're trying to clean up your books, right? Not add to your books, not make things more difficult for your books. So I don't know that that has anything to do with it. I just think that that's a, a, a natural question. There have been some rumblings around Phoenix that I've heard that things are going to start to happen, that, Ross, you're right, that, that they're waiting for that perfect deal. I feel like they're going to have to come off their – they're if uh, they're they're high horse for the Jay Crowder deal, but there are other deals that need to be made. Um, and it's just it blows my mind how the Jay Crowder thing happened, and then they go, "Well, don't worry about it. We got Cam Johnson. Up, oh, he's out for the season, right?" Like it's unbelievable how something like that uh, can happen to a franchise. And it goes to show you that you don't mess around with these type of things. Um, and I also think you know you talk about Bruce, the issue that they had in San Francisco with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. Let's not overlook what happened at media day between Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton. I know there's a lot of really smart basketball people around the league who have had nothing but the utmost respect for Monty Williams as both an X's and O's coach and both as a relationship coach. 
And that has come into significant question around the NBA right now with not placing the blame on Monty or DeAndre, but wondering that connection from player to coach in that locker room with the way that was handled so disgracefully, very publicly on media day, that people are wondering how much of, of, of a grasp he has on that locker room. Interesting. And also, too, I mean, it's kind of like a double whammy when it comes to Aiton because he had the whole deal with his contract and uh, was not happy with the offer. So he may have a little bit of emotional baggage he's been carrying independently. And I don't blame him. I, I, I don't blame him at all. Listen, I, I don't ask any NBA fan to feel sorry for somebody that signed, you know, a hundred million dollar contract. But but imagine going to your job and them telling you, you know what? Here's what you're saying you're worth. We don't believe it. You got to go find it elsewhere. You go find it elsewhere and you say, screw you, I'm out of here. And they say, yeah, you know what? We'll match that and we'll bring you <laughs> back because, because legally we're allowed to. And now you've just got to be happy with us mentally messing with you for the last year when this whole thing could have been decided prior to opening night of last season and you would have gotten a guy who had a lot more buy into your system. Now, if you didn't think that that he deserved that, then let him go or trade him, get some value for him. But don't mess around with what, what is Aiden, 24, 25, 26 years old at most? Like we, we forget some yes, they're they're very rich, they're they're very well compensated, they're they're oftentimes spoiled with the way they're taken care of. But imagine your, you know, 23, 24-year-old son or daughter who who's going through a tough time in their job and they're being yo-yoed around like this and and their you know their value within an organization is on a daily basis being called into question how, how do you expect them to react yeah great point there i thought being in phoenix here locally i thought it was very interesting the way it was handled and he seemed very excited about going to indiana and then that not working out and um that 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 relationship is clear as day out here for me and, and what I'm seeing within the, within this Phoenix Suns team and organization is there's still that tension between the coach and uh, DeAndre Ayton. Um, but I think, I think Jared, just to argue a little bit here, I, I think a little bit does fall on Monty if he did in fact not reach out to Ayton all summer. I mean, he came into camp and Ayton said he hadn't heard from Monty Williams. So you know, well, Monty I, I supported that. I mean, Monty backed it up and said, yeah, I don't, I don't talk to my guys, which is, Absolute nonsense. Every head coach in the NBA talks to his guys, whether it be going into the gym because the guys are there working out or picking up the phone or texting or doing these Zoom check-ins. That's nonsense that he wanted to, you know, leave the guy alone. Mm -mm, Don't buy it. Yep. Um, And now shifting our attention back out east, team that's gotten off to a a pretty good start. Very impressive with uh, the play of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, but they're, you know, they've been dealing with injuries with Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. Fortunately, Holiday just came back, and they've also gotten some strong play from Brooke Lopez on both sides uh, of the basketball. Um, kind of wanted to see where where you think the Bucks are right now. Are you concerned about Middleton? Joe Ingles starting to get into the fold there. Uh, what's your outlook on Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, similar similar to to the Warriors, right? Like, I I, I I'm okay with giving them time. There's something about a team that has the core that won a championship that you're allowed to give them a little more leeway, which is why, you know, not to circle, not to go in circles here, but the whole John Morant thing about building a dynasty, like 
you'd actually got to go win a championship before you can win two and then three and then start talking about a dynasty, right? And that's <laughs> yeah. what Milwaukee's done is they've won one, and this group has that leeway uh, of knowing what their identity is. Uh, but, yeah, Drew Holiday just came back, the Middleton injury, and, and again, it's it's two different things, right? Like it's the wrist that kept him out for the first part of the year. It was the knee that's bothering him now. He had the knee issue in the playoffs last year. There's the conditioning issue. Um, I, I I would be surprised that they don't make some sort of move and, and certainly got to think that they're going to be in the mix for Jay Crowder, you know, to bring Phoenix back into the conversation. You've heard them a couple of times. I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking for somebody else. And, and listen, when you got a guy like Giannis on your team, although he is pretty young, relatively speaking, like you don't know when that window is going to run out. And I think John Horst, the, the general manager there, is going to do everything in his power to, to uh, be as aggressive as he can be every single year. But, yeah, I, I, the only other reason why I would be a little more hesitant on the Bucks right now than I would be on a team like the Warriors out West is simply because the East has so many more teams to compete with where you don't want to mess around. And I think a, a significant storyline over the last half of the season, which we've now entered into the final you know, um, f- 41 games, is what happens with the two and three seeds in the Eastern conference, because you want to, for, for the, you want to avoid the one seed very much. So, you know, whoever that is, whether it's going to be Boston, whether it's going to be Brooklyn, whether it's going to be Milwaukee or Philadelphia comes or Cleveland comes up and challenges that you, you want to avoid being in that two, three seed. You want to push hard for the one seed or get into that four five mix. So you don't have to face the one seed in the second round. To me, there's so much uh, that we don't know about Milwaukee because they haven't been whole. Um, they've shown they know how to win. Um, I don't know if they missed Darvin Ham on the bench because against Toronto last week, they let Gary Trent tie the game up instead of fouling when they were ahead by three. But, you know, uh, be that as it may, we, we, we beat that one up the other night. But until Milwaukee is whole... I can't. I have to give them an incomplete because I still think they're super dangerous. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the league. They lead the league in rebound differential, which is an important number. So uh, I'm I'm still on Milwaukee, although I don't think. I mean, I still see Boston as the best team in the East. I mean, personally, I think their defense is is right where it always has been. Their top five defense. It's what's keeping them in the season. To some extent, their their offense is just obviously it misses the to your all your points about the injuries, Holiday being in and out, Middleton not really being there. It's really impacted them offensively. They're bottom ten in efficiency. They're bottom ten in effective field goal percentage. That's really not for a guy for, when your top player shoots about seventy percent in the restricted area to, to be that bad the rest of the way speaks volumes for the rest of the team, how they shoot. Um, but if they get everybody healthy, if they get offensive help there, yeah, I'm not in that mix. Like I'm in that mix, like the Warriors, like Jared said with the Warriors, I'll wait and see till they get fully healthy and then watch out because of that championship pedigree. And because at a time when, you know, we're going to discuss it later with this offense is all over the league is ridiculous. They're playing, you know, some of the best defense in the league and that's, well, carry him I think carry him into the playoffs deep in the playoffs and then lastly Bruce would kill me Jared if I didn't ask you about the Boston Celtics of course <laughs> they had their uh 
fair share of uh, PR turmoil with the Ime Adoka situation. Joe Mazzula takes over. And, uh, of course, this season, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been on a tear as a duo. Um, what's your take on Boston and kind of their chances right now as it stacks up in the East? And do you have any concerns with uh, maybe their front line, with, with Time Lord not being fully healthy yeah. and uh, Al Horford aging? Yeah, that, that would really be my only only issue and a bit of a surprise that that Danny, uh, pardon me, Freudian slip there, that Brad <laughs> Stevens would not have taken a step to shore that up in, in the offseason, really going with Luke Cornett and Blake Griffin as the only backup bigs in their rotation or at least available to Joe Missoula. Uh They made a, a, a really what would be deemed by most people as an insignificant trade last week by moving Noah Vonley. But what they did what there was lessen their tax bill and open up a roster spot to potentially allow them to make an uneven trade, taking back more than they send out. Um, I would be stunned if Brad Stevens did not make another move to show up that front line between now and, and I think February 9th, the trade deadline. Um, it, it just feels like everything else for Boston is so much better. Right, like some of the issues they had in the NBA Finals, the biggest being Tatum, whether he was injured or not. I feel like he has become more of a complete scorer than he ever has been. He certainly is committed on the defensive side of the ball. And then the other significant issue in that series against the Warriors last year was their lack of bench production. Now, I don't know that it has been consistently as good as people would have liked, but I think based on where they are in the standing, that, that that's a pretty good situation that they're in right now that they'll figure it out right like at times Malcolm Brogdon has not been great but it's also the first time in Malcolm Brogdon's career and I wondered this over the summer when everybody said that this was a surefire deal like a lot of people thought they would just plug Malcolm Brogdon into the starting lineup there but no like he fills the absolute void that they were missing last year Bruce you know this you watch this team on a regular basis like they needed that guy and and I've always felt Malcolm Brogdon has been overcast as a number one option in his previous two stops, or at least obviously wasn't a number one starter uh, star in Milwaukee, but, but the way they leaned on him in, in Indiana just didn't make sense to me. And there were too many times where he tries to play hero ball at the end of a game and just doesn't uh, over the course of his career. I've not seen him commit to the offensive scheme that a coach has asked for. Um, and I feel like him being in that secondary role whether he's in a closing lineup or not is insignificant to me because I feel like he's been able to recognize that it's Tatum, it's Brown, it's Smart, it's Horford, it's him, right? And then some of the other younger pieces, whether it be Hauser or Pritchard, um, I, I feel like maybe those are some of the pieces that are more expandable. What they, what can they get back for those guys? I don't know, but I think they have a good enough one through nine right now that, I would feel really good heading into March, April, and May with this team. Regarding your point about the uh, backup big, I've been reading a little bit about how uh, Naz Reed is somebody that's on their radar screen. And now that Vonley is out of there, uh, mm. you know, he's probably somebody who's gettable for them. And he always seems to play well. I mean, he's not going to go out there yeah. and get you 25 points, but he's a legitimate tough guy. And if he's playing, you know, 13, 15 minutes a night for you, giving those other guys a break, that's good. As for Brogdon, Brogdon to me, besides kind of being the, the leader of the second unit when he's out there, um, against Golden State last year in the finals, I mean, Marcus Smart 
I love him. I never want to see him traded. To me, he's like the emotional engine of that team. But he can be a little bit turnover prone sometimes when he yeah. kind of tries to do a little bit too much. Brogdon, to me, always seems to know how far to push it and then kind of, you know, take it down a gear and look for somebody else. To me, that's the kind of on-floor sort of leadership that most second units would love to have. And I think in in Joe Mazzulla's case, uh, he's like a security blanket for him when when he's out there with, with you know, some of the reserves. And next, I, I wanted to really get your feel on the, the explosive scoring numbers that we've seen going mm-hmm. on. It's been quite insane here recently. Spido with 71, Luca 60, Giannis 55, and, of course, Clay Thompson with 54. Um, you know, what's your take just on this scoring in general? And is there anything that you see playing a part in why we're seeing such epic performances from some of the league's biggest stars? Yeah, and, and to me, it doesn't stop with the individual scoring numbers, which I think are easy to lean on, but it's the number of blowouts that we've seen it's the number of 140, 150-point scoring games that teams have put up this year. And I think it's just a lazy statement to say, nah, guys in the NBA don't play defense anymore. I would actually argue, and I know I'm on with some guys who have seen a lot more basketball over their lives than I have, but I would argue the commitment to defense is a lot greater now than it even was, tactically speaking, in the 70s or 80s in the NBA. I think the level of athlete we're dealing with now makes it incredibly hard, plus the rules, there's no question, has made it to the advantage of the offense. But I think this deals with a much greater issue that this league is facing that I think ultimately will become Adam Silver's biggest challenge over the duration of his tenure as commissioner of the NBA. It is getting players to play basketball. It has become laughable how on a nightly basis – Healthy players don't play. And yes, this is. it seems like this is just a get-off-my-lawn tangent, but I think one plus one equals two in this scenario. When on a nightly basis, teams show up to shoot around or for their pregame, and they're getting ready in their warm-ups, and they find out, oh, our star is not playing tonight. Oh, our third-best player is not playing tonight. Oh, the next night, he's in. Oh, you know, he's out the, the night after. How do you expect to get the chemistry, the continuity, the identity necessary to compete, to build something greater than yourselves to ultimately compete for a championship. We have lost the integrity of the regular season, which allows for on any given night, a team to win by 40 points for a team to put up 153 points in regulation for a player to score 71 points because the opponent that you're playing against is only having this, five-man group on the on the court for like the first time in two weeks and then I think it speaks to a bigger thing as I go on to a tangent here about this but I'm very passionate about this it goes back to training camp teams start training camp on a Tuesday there are teams by Friday and Saturday of that same week that are playing basketball games which means you're not having a training camp if it's just Tuesday Wednesday Thursday that's not a training camp Then we get into the season, and there's two reasons why this next point comes into play. Number one, the new schedule where they've tried to minimize, not cut out, but minimize the number of back-to-backs on top of the fact that we're dealing with diva athletes, on top of the fact that we're dealing with sports scientists that have taken over everything. 
And listen, I'm all for sports science. I'm all for data and information. But you combine those two things, the schedule, the way it's made, and the sports science and the diva mentality, there's no more practices in the NBA. So even if your team is healthy for a week at a time, which is an unbelievable luxury that almost never happens, you don't get them on the court to do things that are non-game. So how do you expect to get better? You're just going out there, going through the motions over 82 games, hoping to get to the next point. It's just, to me, the spike in scoring by the players, the spike in, in blowouts, the spike in team scoring, the number of injuries, the number of games missed is all because of a lack of practice, a lack of training camp, and a lack of commitment to integrity of the regular season. You just described Larry Brown's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to get off that. I feel like it, I thought this was a therapy session that you guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm can be to get this off my chest here. It's just I'm very passionate about this. It, it just it, it's remarkable to me how the league is asking for billions of dollars from from its media partners, which on one hand is very well justified and exciting on many levels to many different people. On the other hand, on a nightly basis, we go in and tell the fans, sorry, by the way, Giannis, not going to play tonight. He might have a knee injury, but he also, we might want to get him ready for later in the week. We're not sure. Yeah. Oh, I think those are all strong cases, good points there as far as some improvements that need to be made. And we're seeing it on a nightly basis, especially games that you help cover. I mean, TNT's had some, some bad some bad looks this year as far as quote-unquote matchups that NBA fans have been treated to this year. And I yep. totally understand your frustration. And I'm sure there's a ton of fans out there wondering the same thing. So appreciate you sharing that, Jared. Um, we know that you played a huge part in the coverage uh, for the league in the Orlando bubble. And kind of wanted to get some reflection from you on that experience. Of course, we had a lot going on uh, outside of just COVID. Uh, we had the Lakers winning the championship with LeBron. We had very important social issues happening with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the George, George Floyd case. And then, you know, wanted to just kind of get a feel for what the bubble was like and how you navigated that and, and, and maybe share some of your experience from, from that whole NBA bubble. Well, continuing on the therapy, <laughs> this is like PTSD for me here. I spent I spent uh, more than ninety consecutive days in the bubble, including the first seven, first seven days where you couldn't leave your motel room. Motel room. Not, it wasn't a luxurious five star hotel. Your motel room for more than about five minutes once per day. Um, it 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 remains, and I don't. I don't see a scenario where it could be topped as the most significant event that I've ever covered. The most significant period of my career ever, albeit I I would never want to do it again. (laughs) Um, I hope we never have to obviously, but it's, it it wasn't, um, it it wasn't as fun as I I thought it might have been. Um, Obviously we went in with, um, the nerves of not knowing how safe it would be because we were still very, um, you know, COVID was still even in its infancy at that point when we think about it, relatively speaking. And then it turned out to be literally what, what I think would be fair to say that the safest place on earth 
<laughs> protected from COVID. So then it quickly went from nerves to a feeling of guilt of, oh no, you know, every single day I'm being tested twice a day. I'm protected. I'm insulated from the issues in the world to now, oh, I just left my wife for this. I just left my family, you know, for this, for basketball. Um, when, when you think about, though, the undertaking that the NBA in just a couple of months got this done, uh, just remarkable. Um, and yeah, Ross, like all the other things were so much bigger than basketball. But what I go back to and to tie into my last rant, you know, I've been reading on, on Twitter a lot of stuff. People are saying, you know, the, the integrity of the regular season's loss. What do we do? How do we get back to getting competitive basketball? One of the biggest, I think, compliments of the bubble was, if you remember, and maybe it was just our, our need for live sports because we hadn't had it in a long time, was just how great the games were on a nightly basis. And oh, by the yeah. way, nobody sat out ever for anything. Like, you played basketball. You were there for one reason. You played basketball. The games were unbelievable. I remember my very first game that I covered in the bubble was Lakers versus Clippers. LeBron hits a buzzer beater. Like, just unbelievable um, how, how high level the basketball was there. One of my most vivid memories from watching the bubble from a distance, uh, obviously, you know, LeBron and the Lakers, all that. But to me, one of the things that increased my admiration for you, Jared, was your post-game interview with Jamal Murray after his amazing game. Can you take Thank us you. back to that moment in time and just kind of tell us what that felt like for you? Did you realize at the moment the the magnitude of what mm -hmm. was going on? Because it was such a great job by you, Thank just kind of capturing the right you know mood for the moment. Appreciate that, Bruce. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things that we talk to young reporters all the time about. It's being in the moment, being prepared for what you want to ask, but ultimately the best skill you could have as, as a reporter or as a journalist is to listen and to understand the moment. And um, it's actually funny. I actually just went back the other day and watched it for something separate that I'm working on. So I went back and, and kind of took it all in again for the first time in a while. I hadn't seen it in, in you know, more than a year. Uh, but yeah, Jamal Murray had scored a ridiculous, I think he had like 57 points or something. And it was a back and forth in a playoff game between him and Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell was going off. And, um, you know, if you remember that, that playoffs for, for Denver, they had fallen behind three games to one. And in almost every playoff series, they rallied to, to, come back. They almost completed it in the Western Conference Finals uh, against the Lakers before eventually losing. But in this particular series against Utah, he wins the game. And Murray had, again, I think it was 57. I, I don't remember exactly how many points he had. But we go over to do the interview. And after a guy scores 57 points in an emotional win, big for the team, saving your season, all that, he, to me, just appeared to be exhausted. Totally understandable. He's got his hands on his knees and I asked him the first question and he had trouble answering it. And again, I thought he was just having trouble catching his breath. And then all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks that he's getting really emotional. He's fighting back tears. And we hadn't even gotten to the point where he had said anything. He just had said, this means a lot to me. And I just asked him to explain what, what it was that, was making him so emotional. And at that time I looked down at his shoes and I realized on, I believe his left shoe, he had a, a 
painting of Breonna Taylor. And on his right shoe, he had George Floyd. And our amazing director, I'll never forget this, going back to watch it, Andrew Greathouse, who's our lead remote director for TNT, is like, we hadn't talked about it, but in sync with me, there was no editing, this was live. As I start to say, oh, you've got Breonna Taylor on your left shoe, George Floyd on your right shoe. Andrew Greathouse, our director, is taking shots of it. And and at home, you're seeing it amplifying just how significant this moment was for, for Jamal. And it was a moment I'll never forget because just like you said, Bruce, and, and I remember a couple of walk-offs with LeBron that I had like this. And, and even I had a moment with Paul George where Paul George speaking of therapy, like I felt like I was his therapist. Paul George was telling the world, utilizing me as the, 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 the medium here that, he was going through grave depression while in the bubble. And this Jamal Murray interview was kind of the capper of all of it because you, you never see a grown man crying for a, a reason other than celebration and, and joy. And it was just, I think it was just uh, bottled up emotions that everybody's had. And it was, it was a remarkable moment. And, you know, I'm just, I'm glad I was there. And, uh, you know, I just tried to stay out of the way for it. That's awesome to hear. Thanks for sharing that story with us, Jared. And uh, we'll try not to keep this as uh, a therapy session for you. Uh, I need it though, Ross. So please, <laughs> it's a therapy <laughs> session for all of us. Come yeah, on, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's have some fun here with some quick hitters. Uh, just letting our listeners know a little bit more about you, or and some of your favorite things, uh, and, and obviously tying it back to your job and responsibility at TNT and NBA TV. Um, first off, what's your favorite NBA city to visit? I, I probably default to New York just because I'm from there and I usually get to see family and there's still nothing like doing a game at the garden, whether the Knicks are good, bad, or indifferent. Um, there's just something special. You feel like you're on a stage and I, I just love being back there and, and getting, a, you know, you're guaranteed to get a great meal too. Okay. Would you say that's your best uh, media room food then Ooh, in New York? Um, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I very rarely eat the media room food these days. Okay. okay. Um, but where was I? I gotta, where was I recently that had an unbelievable spread? I think um, I got to think about this. Where? I mean, Golden State always has a great spread. You know, Raymond, the great Raymond Ritter, the PR guru, the best PR guy in the history of public relations in any sport, in any industry. There's always great food there. Um, yeah, I, 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 I've not had a lot of media room food lately. So uh, I'll say that. TNT does a good job catering their events. I'm sure you don't need their food. <laughs> there you go, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> So you almost answered three of my questions in okay. one. I'm going to assume your favorite arena is uh, Madison Square then? Yeah, uh, Madison Square Garden is is always awesome. Um, I think one of the more underappreciated arenas is Toronto. I think those fans are just nutty about everything, and it's a lot of fun there. Um, you know, uh, trying to think of where else. You know, Portland's always loud when they're good. Um yeah, and Boston's always fun because that atmosphere is always intense. But, but, but there's no greater arena to broadcast from than, than the Garden. Gotcha. 
And what are some of your hobbies when you're not working or around basketball? <laughs> um, preparing for basketball, <laughs> um, dreaming about basketball. <laughs> um, there's, there's not much else that goes on in my life. I'm sorry to say I don't uh, try to be boring. I've tried to pick uh, up golf. Funny. I just can't. I can't stick with it. Um, I like I like to cook. I like to grill. Um, I like to hang out with my family because I don't see much of them during the course of the year. But yeah, for me, um, I, I am as committed to my profession. My wife understands that I married her second. I married my career first and, and she came along second. She understands that that is uh, we don't we don't have a prenup because there's no reason to have a prenup with me in broadcasters. You don't you don't need to have a prenup. But she understands that in writing, it says basketball first career, basketball career, uh, marriage second. Wow. That's we'll see uh, how long that lasts. But yeah, I was going to say it may what, it what may not make it may not make the podcast episode here. <laughs> <laughs> she comes and hijacks. Now that that comes out. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, you know that that's that's called out kicking your coverage, man. When you find a a, a mate like that, oh, I know that's I know. like awesome. <laughs> I, know. I know. So so I, I got to ask you. You mentioned golf. Uh, yeah. I think I think you said you were based in Atlanta. Have you ever had yeah. the chance to play with Charles? I have, I've never played golf with Charles, but him and I have hung out a, a fair share of, of times. Okay. And there is no, there's no one better in the NBA to hang out with. I've hung out with him probably over a hundred times in my 11 years at Turner. And, um, there's, you know, certainly would like the Michael Jordan experience once in my life. I think that yeah. would be fun, but there's nobody better than Charles, even though I've done it a hundred times minimum. Um, he is the single greatest human being on the face of the earth. And it just, um, you know, it's funny when people talk about working at Turner and all that stuff. And Bruce, I know you've had the experience of, you know, knowing what it's like at Turner and you've obviously had the experience of being at ESPN, but like, there are no, there are no divas allowed at Turner. There's no prima donnas. And the tone is set at our company with not only the, the, the highest, compensated guy which i would have to fairly assume is charles but also the most visible and the most outspoken right and so he sets the tone for everybody and you know when charles welcomes you to the family the first time he sees you and when he's you know literally cleaning up his workspace to make sure that nobody else has to clean up his workspace and when he's going over to say hello to everybody and giving people holiday presents and making sure that when you get married or have a baby you know, he acknowledges it or when it's your birthday, he calls or sends you a text. Um, it sets the tone for the type of workplace that we have at Turner, which I think I think is fair to say. And I think objectionably uh, fair to say that that Turner, in terms of the sports media world, is the greatest place to work from that human interaction aspect. That's great. Great to hear that. And I know. Fans, much like myself, enjoy the work that you do on NBA TV and the product that TNT Thursdays has always Thanks, been. Man. It's almost a tradition uh, to watch that every Thursday. Don't forget Tuesdays now. Tuesdays and Thursdays. We started That's true. This week. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. so you'll see me. You'll see me Tuesday and Thursday the next two weeks. So, okay, don't, you're going to get sick of me. Plus this podcast. Jeez. So, so, yeah. so you're going to get some FaceTime with uh, Candace Parker and with uh, D Wade. Is that the Tuesday night crew? Well, well, D Wade's out now. He has decided to go on to other ventures. So we've, we've now have Jamal Crawford in studio. So it's right. Jamal Crawford, it Candace Parker, Adam Lefko, and Shaquille O'Neal. 
I love Jamal yeah. last yeah, past Tuesday. He's awesome. He's good. Yeah. Yep. He's one of the he's one of the best guys. Ask him one time. We did this on a podcast with him one time. Mm-hmm. He can name all 20 coaches he played for in order off the top of his head. Well, you should I have him, him do that on the air one night. Yeah, I tell him all the time that there is there is no greater historian of the game around today than him. Um, and also what's so fun about him is, you know, not, not to take a shot at anybody else, but, but I find today's players watch very little basketball when they're not playing. Jamal is so entrenched in basketball when he's not playing or talking about it. It's unbelievable. Um, he will watch every game on league pass. He will break down film when he's, he flies from, he still lives in Seattle and he flies to Atlanta. You know, he's on the plane watching film, watching cutups. Um, he's just, he's such a student that that's why I think he's on top of the fact he's got great personality. He's very charming and he's, he's very knowledgeable. I think his passion, his dedication to the game is going to make him a great broadcaster. One of his boyhood friends, uh, was, it was Nate Burleson, you know, of CBS and they used, yeah, Nate told us on a podcast one time, they used to hang out at each other's houses and stuff. And, and Nate is a big time baller too. I mean, yeah, even though he was an NFL player. Excellent basketball player. Awesome. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> well, we are now into overtime here. Um, last thing that we did have on the schedule that would be real fun to do real quick with all four of us is kind of just build our own perfect player, taking five attributes of uh, current NBA players all into one. And Bruce, I'll, I'll let you start out uh, as this was your grand idea. We're only doing five. Of- Five, five, five uh, well, abilities. Yep. Jared, since you're since you're our special guest, uh, you can do more. But I'm going to limit myself. <laughs> I wrote. I, I have eight. Oh wow! Absolutely, okay. absolutely. We need all, all right. eight then. All right. You want me to go first so that we can give Jared ample time on the yeah. back end here? Yeah. All right. My perfect player would have the shooting stroke of Stephen Curry, the lockdown defense of Marcus Smart, the explosiveness of LeBron James, the motor of Giannis Antetokounmpo and the passing ability of Nikola Jokic. Now, that said, each of those guys has some other valuable uh, skills too, like rebounding, et cetera. But those would be, to me, my five characteristics of my perfect player. Will be? Well, let's see. I Obviously, the shooting skill, I can't imagine anybody would go other than Steph Curry. Um, I'm a big fan of... I'm still a big fan of LaMelo Ball. So if I was to look at somebody as a passing shooter, I think he needs people who can actually shoot to pass the ball too. But once I'll take him at the moment for uh, for a passing skill. I like Jaron Jackson for a defensive uh, person. I think he's, he's just not on the court enough. We're finally getting to see him on the court. But I think he's uh, when he's on the court and healthy, he's, he's really solid as a defensive player. Uh, Leadership, IQ, things like that. I would. It's hard to go against LeBron James, um, as yeah. far as that goes. As far as an IQ goes, um, and then, I don't. You know, you gotta have a certain toughness in this league. I don't know where that, you know, goes into or whatever. But I think a guy like PJ Tucker for a toughness characteristic. Those are you know some of the qualities I thought about that I think uh, are essential for the perfect player. Like Bruce said, all the other skills, the rebounding, we could always talk about the scoring skills. You could list 20 players that 
you could build off a scoring skill, but those are the ones I think about the quote unquote intangibles. All right. And, uh, I'll go next here. Uh, I got the shooting stroke of Steph Curry, greatest shooter of all time, in my opinion. I also want the leadership skills of Chris Paul, one of the most tremendous point guard leaders the game has ever seen. Uh, I combined defense and toughness, and I'm going to say that is Giannis. I think what he did a few years ago in the playoffs, hurting his knee against the uh, Atlanta Hawks in game six, and then returning for game one of the NBA finals and his finals performance throughout. can't can't beat the toughness of the Greek freak. I'm going to take the passing skills of the Joker. I mean, just the way he threads the needle, uh, even in transition, full court, uh, just tremendous ability and vision. And uh, I'll take the hoop IQ and feel of LeBron James. I mean, LeBron James is known as a guy uh, for for coaches that feel like they're being tested with him in the, in the locker room because he knows sometimes the play is better than a coaching staff that's been scouting them on a five-out schedule would know him. So, uh, Got to go with uh, the LeBron James in there building a current player's uh, best five abilities. But what about you, uh, Jared? What do you got for us? So I, I did a couple of different things here. I did, <laughs> you know, the, the standard stuff. I think, you know, the basketball IQ of LeBron, the score, the pure scoring ability of Luka, the clutch gene of Dame, the passing ability of Jokic, but then I went into some other things that I, I, I think are really important, some intangibles that we don't have. Uh, the work ethic of a Giannis Antetokounmpo, a big one based on my, my passion rant that I had before. <laughs> the, the availability of a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who granted he's out right now, so it kind of goes against my <laughs> argument. But, you know, he, he rarely, rarely misses games. And when he plays often plays, you know, North of 34, 35 minutes a game. So I I love that. I want, I want a Hooper. I want a guy who loves basketball. That Hooper to me is Kevin Durant. Like say what you want about Kevin Durant, about his, his injuries, about, you know, whether you like, whether he went to golden state, whether you like, he went to Brooklyn, whether his attachment to Kyrie bottom line is, you never seen Kevin Durant rest because he's healthy, right? And and that whole nonsense about him thinking about retirement this summer, garbage. I don't believe it for a second. This nobody loves basketball more than Kevin Durant. And then the biggest one, which I think comes on several different levels, and I'll explain them, is the selflessness of a superstar. To me, there is no superstar that is as good as this player and as selfless as this guy. It's Steph Curry. It starts with his ability on both sides of the basketball to do whatever it takes to win. Is he the greatest defender of all time? Is he even a good defender? Probably not. But he will never stop hustling on defense. On offense, he does his most damage without the basketball. Most superstars have cement blocks on their feet when they don't have the basketball. This dude sets the standard for what it takes to get offense rolling. And then you just got to go back to the first round of the playoffs last year. Steph's coming off a significant injury, and Clay was finally just starting to get rolling, and Jordan Poole was having the best stretch of his pro career, which ultimately earned him the contract he got. You know what Steph Curry said to, to Steve Kerr? It's the NBA playoffs. I'll come off the bench. I'll be the sixth man. 
Leave Poole in his rhythm. Make sure Clay is starting, still getting his sea legs. I'll do it. I asked Steve Kerr during the playoffs last year, is there any other superstar in the history of the game that he could think of that was as good, as decorated as Steph Curry that would ever even consider, let alone actually following through and coming off the bench? And he said, Tim Duncan. So I feel like the selflessness of Steph Curry is something that we don't see in very many superstars. And I think that he sets the tone and that, that could translate to leadership that could translate to a lot of other things, but ultimately it's translated to four championships. Well, put should've there should have been, been five, should have been five. If Draymond hadn't got himself suspended in 2016. Correct. Correct. Well, gentlemen, any final thoughts here on this edition of 48 minutes? Well, all I'm going to say is, first of all, thank you to Jared for sharing your time with us and your expertise. It really uh, means a lot uh, that you would be a friend of the show. Not surprising, but very much appreciated. Uh, watching uh, my two favorite Celtic players, I'm getting uh, I'm getting a little bit of a Jordan Pippen vibe from watching those two. Ooh. I'm not saying that they're there. I'm not saying that they're there, but they're both still pretty young. And the way they're both playing at both ends of the court, uh, I'm I'm – Getting that vibe, uh, please don't say that I'm saying they're better. They're not, okay? Not going to get aggregated. Maybe not ever, but I'm just getting that vibe. It's, a, <laughs> it's like a thrill up my leg. Will be? Well, I, you know, we talked about it in the last episode. Um, as we enter the second half of the season, I'll, I'll reiterate it. I'll bring it up again. I want to see the team or teams that can really, in this day and age of offensive explosion that we've been talking about here, who's going to be the lockdown team defensively the rest of the season that can really establish, get them into that elite category. The teams that can do that, that are starting to do that, the Celtics are starting to play the defense like their offense. The Bucks have been solid all year on defense. The Clippers have been solid all year in defense. Their offense has just been a train wreck. So. Yeah. It's you know they may be too far gone, but the teams that the, the teams that are really good right now, if the Nuggets can step up their defense somehow and match even approach their offense, they would be a real tough team to beat. So I'm looking forward to seeing which teams are going to step up defensively. And you know, speaking like everybody else, we certainly appreciate Jared being here today. Thank he uh, when he says he lives, eats, and breathes basketball. All you need to do is listen to this episode and find out <laughs> it, it's not a lie. Well, I'll add I'll add one more to you. I, I think what you're uh, you're talking about the defense commitment to defense. Cleveland, man, how Absolutely. fun are they on the defensive end? And when they Absolutely. are all healthy and together, I think uh, their defense and what JB Bickerstaff has done. We got to start talking about him as one of the best practitioners in in basketball. What he's drawn up there is 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 absolutely significant. It, my, my my final point that I'll add, and it ties it all in with my theme today. Please come on this mission with me. Join me for the remainder of this season and no longer talk about points per game, assists per game, rebounds per game, blocks per game, anything per game. Join me on this mission of rewarding players who play. The scoring champion in baseball, like the home run champion in in, in the, the scoring champion in basketball is like the home run champion in baseball. It's whoever scores the most points that should be the scoring champion. Whoever hands out the most assists, whoever grabs the most rebounds should be our champion in those respected stats because it is about playing. You shouldn't 
get the most points per game by simply not playing and thus doing the average of the lack of games you play and the most points you score and say, oh, we're going to reward these guys because then that will start to waken up these guys because then it will start to translate to all-stars, to all-NBA ballots, to MVP ballots, to Defensive Player of the Year ballots, to Sixth Man of the Year ballots, and maybe slowly but surely this mentality of not valuing the regular season will start to change. And you kind of stole my uh, final thought as far as giving a shout-out to a guy that's uh, put up some impressive stats consecutively and DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, He's got the 18 consecutive double-doubles, longest such streak for the Kings. But we're not going to worry about that because I do agree with you there, Jared, and I'm going to give a special shout-out to uh, Mikel Bridges of the Suns. He is a guy that definitely plays each and every night, hasn't missed a game in forever. And, um, you know, he struggles at times but always brings it uh, defensively and and brings energy to the offensive end of the floor, whether he has the ball in his hands or is off the ball. Um, So, Shout out to Mikel Bridges going along with Jared's point, playing each and every night for the Suns. For the record, Luca leads Tatum by about 78 points in the scoring race, if that matters to you at this point. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Luca's the scoring champion right now. <laughs> All right. So who knows who would have been the scoring champion last year under the Jared Greenberg system? I have the answer if nobody else does. Total points last year. Um yeah. Uh, Trey Young. Trey Young, wow. right. Yeah. Trey okay. Trey would have won for I think points and assists last year, I think. Probably field goal attempts too. Just a guess. Just a guess. <laughs> cool. Well, you know, that will do it for this edition of 48 Minutes on Believe. Jared, thanks again for joining us here today. We really do appreciate your time having some fun with us. And uh, we'll be back for everyone on Tuesday with episode 10. And until then, hope everyone enjoys a wonderful weekend. And thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.